You're listening to Inspirational Perspective with Linnell Harris. Inspirational Perspective is all about murdering mediocrity and living the best life possible. Are you living the best life possible? You can subscribe to the Inspirational Perspective blog at www.inspirationalperspective.com. Follow Linnell on social media. Go to Facebook and like the Facebook page, Inspirational Perspective. You can also follow Linnell on Twitter and Instagram at the handle Linnell Harris. In this recording, Linnell explores the 10 characteristics of success. He also asks his radio audience, what makes a person successful and what are the characteristics that lead to success? Let's join the conversation. Tonight, I would like to talk about success. That slippery temptress, success. The questions for the callers this evening is what makes a person successful and what are the characteristics that lead to success? So if you got a perspective, give me a phone call. You know, it's interesting. I posted on Facebook a little earlier today a quote by Aristotle. And the quote is, there is only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. You know, so (laughs) tonight we're talking about success. And I think it was a couple of weeks ago I talked about one of the reasons we avoid new opportunity and and part of it was what other people think. But I would be interested, you know, just and I haven't even gotten into the show, but I would be interested how how many people aren't successful simply because they were given ideas, thoughts and they had to take action. But they didn't take action because they were wondering what other people thought. And what Aristotle just shared, even though he's shared it, you know, centuries ago, sharing it with you guys now, is regardless of what you do, you will be criticized. And you can believe that if you do nothing, you will still get some criticism. Okay, so the questions for this evening are as follows. What makes a person successful and what are the characteristics that lead to success. Okay, so you guys know I, I always have a perspective. And um, I wrote a blog. It's actually a couple of weeks ago. I just posted it, though, to inspirationalperspective.com. I think two weeks ago. And the title is 10 Characteristics That Lead to Success. And I, I went into some depth there. So I'll cover a little bit of that tonight. But I really, really want to talk about how important how we think about our success plays into our ability to be successful or how we speak about our success or the success of those around us, typically family, has so much to do with our ability to actually be successful. So I'll definitely be getting into that. And I invite any conversation that you all bring. So to get into tonight's topic over the years, I've had wonderful opportunity to learn from a number of men and women that I've come in contact with, you know, within my professional career or maybe through uh, my parents or others, church, whatever it may be. They've made some outstanding achievements. And over the past month or two, I decided to take some time to review a lot of old notes I've had. So I'm I'm a huge on note taking. 
so I, I went through to kind of scour, okay, what is the information that I've gotten throughout the years that I put into a, a group of journals I have in my office at home, almost a whole row of just journals I've written in. So I went through these journals and I was find in particular the lessons I had gotten on success. So I took my time to do this. And tonight I want to share a brief compilation of the wisdom that I've gathered from these individuals over the past couple of decades. I would say, uh, I mean, maybe two decades. Okay. And so you'll want to keep listening for the whole show because I've broken this compilation of wisdom down into a list. I've labeled the 10 characteristics that lead to success. All right. So if you read the blog, you still want to listen because you get, you'll get more breath. There's only so much I can write. I try to keep it under 500 words, even though this one was a thousand. So only so much I can, I can hit. And so I'm going to get right into it. And if you guys have questions, feel free to call in. Uh, If there's something that pops for you in regards to a different characteristic, feel free to call in. But number one is resilience. You know, so the first characteristic that I came across in my notes that I began to see a a very, I, I guess, a theme across not just the notes that I had gathered from mentors, but also books I read. I also take notes on, you know, when I'm reading a book, something that sticks out. And resilience was one of the number one characteristics that I came across. So, all right, so what do you mean by resilience, Linnell? Well, the simple ability to be resilient, no matter what obstacle is in your way. And what I found is resilience is one of the most differentiating characteristics of anyone that is successful. So what does resilience mean? Well, resilience means sticking to your personal objectives, goals, or aspirations, despite the circumstance. Despite the circumstance. That means keeping, I guess if I had to paint a picture for you, it means keeping your eye on the potential or the possibility or the goal or the dream versus your eyes on your circumstance. And often, I think a lot of us, we focus so much on our circumstance that we get exhausted by the circumstance. Therefore, we have no energy to push through. And so it's almost impossible to be resilient. Now, I once heard resilience described like this. And check this out. Because uh, I think this is an interesting perspective. So is a billionaire with $20 billion, $20 billion smarter than you or I? That's the question. All right. And think of it as in ratios. I mean, that, you know, they're $20 billion smarter than you or I. Is that possible? Like, is that the differentiator? Is it their smarts? And I would say, no, it's not the smarts. They've just mastered the characteristic of resilience in terms of how to create their enterprise. And so it's not always that individuals are so much smarter than us or have so much more access than us. Because, again, I've said in the 21st century, we all have similar access, right? Because if you have a smartphone and you can get to Google, then there's not too much that you can be that you can't find, okay? And so the difference between a billionaire with $20 billion is not the brains. It's something else. And I believe it's this thing called resilience, right? So unlike those of us who quit when resistance places itself 
in the path of our dreams or our goals or our aspirations, the billionaire just keeps moving along and overcoming their barriers. That is simply the difference. If you guys can recall some shows, uh, ah, this is a while ago, maybe even a year ago, I had a show called Success Versus Mediocrity. And in that show, I shared a quote from Earl Nightingale about how he basically measured the difference between an individual that can be considered successful and an individual that's considered mediocre. And he came up with the measurement that there's only a 2% difference between an individual that's successful and one that is mediocre. 2%. And what he says, what he goes on to say about that is that 2% is what separates a person that is successful from those that are mediocre from the pack over time. So imagine, right, I'm going in a straight line and someone else is uh There's a 2% variance for those of you who did trig. Let's say it's a 90-degree angle versus a 92-degree angle. The further out you get, the further away you will be from that straight line, from that 90-degree angle. And so that's what Earl Nightingale was saying. If you begin to do something different today in regards to your success, that one thing could be the difference between who you are and what you accumulate years from now, a decade from now, two decades from now, versus if you did nothing. And so often, you know, I I think some we have goals, we have dreams, and they seem too big to chisel, chisel away at. But I do believe part of the idea, we're talking about resilience here, is to chip every day the little that you can. Because that work, will differentiate you long-term from others who are not willing to do the work. All right, so that's number one, resilience. Okay, got 10 more to go. So number two is what I would call believing you can. And I have a whole lot to say about number two. So I'm going to come back to number two if we have time at the, you know, towards the end of the show, Uh, because I I really want to spend some time on number two, okay? Believing you can. And all I'll say briefly is there are so many of us that have not achieved our potential, not because someone else told us we couldn't, simply because we didn't believe we could. Simply because we didn't believe we could. Richard Bach said, if you get an idea, you're also given the capacity to deliver on that idea. One of my favorite quotes. Okay. All right, number three, having a plan. So what's your game plan? So you you get an idea, you want to be successful, or or you want to do something. What's your game plan? So you want to be successful, what's your plan? You know, so this is to the young people out there, and maybe some of us that are more mature. What is your plan? If you don't have a plan, make a plan. Have a plan to get your plan. If you need help, then reach out for help. But It is important to have a plan. And then once you have a plan, be sure to intimately know and understand your plan. Do you intimately know and understand your plan and how you're going to achieve what you achieve? Now, I want to be clear because a plan is typically what you can control, right? Or what you can see, the how that you can kind of mentally surmise in your own mind. 
And often what I've noticed, and especially working with clients, they have these big ideas and they don't understand how. And so they have a hard time creating a plan. And you know what? I would say almost all the time, it's okay to build out where you are now and where you want to be and not necessarily have all the components of the how that will get you to where you want to be. It is the focus on the where you want to be that will begin to show you what the how is and what the very next step is. Hopefully I made that simple. But sometimes having a plan is simply affirming what it is that you want to do every day, even if you don't know how you're going to do it. Sometimes having a plan is simply putting something up on the vision board, not really clear how it's going to happen. But I'm going to look at this thing every day. I'm going to think on this thing. And once the plan begins to come to me, I will take action. That's the key, right? So once the plan begins to come to you, you begin to take action. But number three is having a plan. You know, success is life's greatest game. And so your plan should include, you know, all the ways you plan on winning. It should include the strategy just in case you lose, which should include how you plan to win the next time, okay? Because one of the the big parts of success is failure. And, And typically almost anybody who's been successful will share that, that they've had some of their greatest learnings from failure. All right, so number one, resilience. Number two, believing you can, which I'm going to go into in more depth. And then number three, have a plan. Number four, clearly defining what success is. You know, so it's it's one thing to say, I want to have a million dollars. All right. But for what? To do what with? When? (laughs) You know, all those different factors excuse me, go into clearly defining what success is. And then here's the interesting thing. Most of us work a nine to five, you know, or some iteration of that every day, right? So if you don't work nine to five, you work three to 11 or 11 to eight, you know, but you know, most of us work some iteration of an eight hour job. And at our jobs, either we set our own goals or we have leaders that set that goal for us, right? Some of us have daily goals. There's you know, so much you have to accomplish in that day. Um, and then, you know, your evaluations are based on your daily progress every day, kind of added up. Others have quarterly goals or annual goals. Either way, we have goals. And we typically receive some type of indicator for what success will look like for those goals. So if it's daily, if it's, if it's quarterly, if it's annually, we have some type of indicator assessment that will tell us what success looks like for the year. And when it comes down to creating personal goals that are based on our own dreams and aspirations, I find it fascinating how often we skip the vital steps of creating a measure for that success. All right. So at work where you spend all this time and you're basically, you know, helping someone else become rich, you have very well thought out, articulated goals. However, for yourself, the things you want to accomplish, they're in your head. Can you see the difference? And can you see how every year you deliver on the corporate goal or the goal at work, but somehow you don't deliver on your own? It's not rocket science. You have to spend the same amount of time, put the same amount of effort 
into creating your own personal goals. I guess the big question is, why do we do this? Most of us hate to fail. And I think that's part of the reason, right? So you can, most of the time when you're looking at work goals, you can clearly see how you're going to be successful. You know what you need. You know who you might need to work with, what individuals you need to bring in to accomplish a particular task. However, when it comes to your personal goals, often I think we're not sure. And so we don't know. We, we don't want to put measures on that. We don't want to put by wins on that because we don't like failing. But if you don't have a deadline, then that goal, that dream, well, that's what it stays a dream. And so for the most part, we're forced to set professional goals in the workplace, whether we like the goals or not, it doesn't matter. And so in the workplace, we'll work sun up to sundown to meet the expectations of the goals that we set there because we associate that success with survival. Okay. Got to get a check. Got to have a roof over your head. So we associate those goals with survival. But in the meantime, we avoid gaining clarity on our own dreams because we don't associate that with survival. That's optional. Hmm. All right. So if it's optional, you wonder why we don't ever really make the movement that we're looking to make. And so what I would say to that is if your dreams are optional, then there's no accountability for what you intend for that dream to become. There's no way for you to measure the intention of that dream. And so what happens is you end up robbing yourself of your passions and your dreams because you, not nobody else, but you didn't take it serious. And you didn't take it even as serious as that job you don't like. Interesting, but this is how it goes. So all I can say here for number four is, which is clearly defining what success is, is define your success by creating clear objectives and measurements by which to hold yourself accountable, just like you do at work. That's the long and short of it. Okay, that's it. All right. So we're up on number five. And number five is self-discipline. And so self-discipline, you know, I will share this. And some of this comes from observation because I would have to admit that I don't know that I've read a whole lot about self-discipline, nor have I been taught or mentored a lot about self-discipline. It's one of those kind of covert characteristics that you find in successful people. And so from my observation, what I found is this. The most successful people I know are also some of the most disciplined. They don't let their celebrations outshine their wins. All right. And so that doesn't mean not to celebrate. But, you know, you should ask yourself if you're kicking it every Friday, every Saturday night, you're turning up, you're drinking, you're having a good time. What are you celebrating? Are you celebrating the fact that you work 40 hours that week? Or you just having a good time because if it's just having a good time, you're probably not making traction. And the most successful people that I've had the opportunity to observe and to interact with, some of which are celebrities that you guys know very well. They may turn up, they may celebrate, but you can you can pretty much guarantee that they're celebrating something. They're celebrating a win after which. You know, they kind of go back to getting the work in. They also control their energy source 
with intentional rest. You know, a lot of them aren't afraid to check out and go to bed. And all this is done purposefully to ensure when it's time to get to work, they can make a huge impact. And so with self-discipline in particular, this here, this is not a conversation for you. It's interesting because maybe they haven't had it with me for a reason. I really believe self-discipline is looking in the mirror and addressing yourself. Because I'll tell you, the biggest hurdle to my success has been me. And the toughest person I've ever had to lead is me. And, you know, since that's the case, then my energy should be placed in the discipline of me versus everything else. And so a question to ask, you know, if you wonder whether or not you have a good amount of self-discipline or not, a good question to ask yourself is where is your energy going? Is it going to Candy Crush or something else? Facebook? Yeah, I said Candy Crush because I keep getting invitations to play. I'm not playing. Don't send me an invitation. I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> there's too much to do to be playing Candy Crush, y'all. And there's money to be made out here. All right. So where's your energy going? Because if, you, if you're giving a significant, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with playing games. But if you're giving a significant amount of your energy to that, it's going to be very hard to be successful. All right, I got a phone call from Andrew right here in Bronzeville. Andrew, how are you, man? You're on the air. Very good. I define self-discipline as the bedrock upon which human character is built. Mm, I like that. And I define the content of human character as being essentially aspects of human virtue with truthfulness being the foundation of all human virtue. That's uh, very well said. Very well said. Now, is that yours, or are you, did you get that from a source? That's in the Baha'i writings. Got it. Okay. Got it. The bedrock on which human character is built. The bedrock upon which human character is built. Self-discipline. And it is absolutely key. Oh, yeah. I, I believe that. in all departments of life. Yeah. So let me ask you, I mean, where, where would you say you are in regards to your own self-discipline and, and what nuggets of wisdom could you offer up to our listeners? Well, recently, um, a friend of mine, Jerome Will, introduced me to Nichiren Buddhism, which I had known about for some time. A Baha'i friend of mine, Albert Washington, used to chant the Namyo Renge Kyo mm-hmm. uh, decades ago. I used to just enjoy listening to him chant. And... Um, so that's just a thought. Okay. Yeah. All right. Really get into yourself and to really sit and think. Less is more. Absolutely. You Absolutely. Know? Yep. And we just need to minimize distraction and just get quiet and just focus on where we're at in our life, you know? Absolutely. And what we want to do and what we're trying to bring about being the world that we want to see, as Mahatma Gandhi would say. Mm-hmm. Yep, being a change be. that you want to see. Yeah, absolutely. Powerful. Cool. All right, thanks a lot, Andrew. Thanks for that, man. That was, that was uh, huge. Huge. Thanks Thank a lot. Thank you, brother. Yep, absolutely. All right, great phone call. Self-discipline, the bedrock on which human character is built. And then he talked a little bit about um, Buddhist chanting meditation. You know, it's interesting. Meditation in particular, and for those of you who 
maybe aren't haven't meditated or you haven't had the opportunity. Think of it this way. The mind, your mind is always running. Even when you're sleeping, it's running. And, you know, what benefit would it be if you could actually press pause and be with your thoughts in a very different way, be with yourself in a very different way, and almost connect to your your inner man in a way that you typically don't have an opportunity to do when you're moving quickly. So thanks for the call, Andrew, because you may find something, you, you, you know, there may be something there. And of course, if you want to learn how to meditate, all you got to do is go to Google. <laughs> so for those of you who may be interested in that, that's a great phone call. All right. Number six is passion. All right. So we've gone through the first five characteristics of what leads to success. And number six is passion. And I got to tell you, I haven't met a successful person yet who was not passionate about what they do every day. I just haven't. And if you aren't doing what you're passionate about, the best advice I can give you is to run and run quickly. Because what will happen is you'll end up becoming unengaged and eventually fail. Passionate people typically aren't targeted when companies evaluate their employees for layoffs. I'm not talking about people who think they're doing a good job or people who feel like, you know, the things wouldn't go the way they go at work if they weren't there. I'm not talking about them. okay? because that's different from being engaged and passionate. I'm talking about passionate people like typically companies figure out how we're going to keep this person. okay? when it comes down to uh, passion. And so I'm just saying passion is one of the major characteristics of success. Now, number seven, check this one out. Number seven, the the seventh characteristic that leads to success is an individual that understands power. I'm going to say it again. Is an individual that understands power. All right. So I'm going to try to explain this in a way to try to make it as plain as possible because power is a tricky subject. All right. So power Almost anyone we would label successful seems to have quite a bit of this. Okay, so how is that? And we label a lot of people successful and not all of these individuals who who are successful have money because a lot of times they say money is power. We also say knowledge is power. Then they do have knowledge, (laughs) but they might not have a lot of money. But typically when we find someone who's successful, they have one of both. Uh, You know, have one of them or both of them, knowledge or money or both. And that creates some type of power. Now, the catch is this. You just don't take power, leadership and influence or, you know, whatever else you want to call it. You just don't take it. Power is given based on trust and respect. Now, you might say, well, no, I've seen people take it by force. Okay, that might be an illustration of power and force. But is it really true power? Because let's look at it this way. Just because you have a leadership title doesn't mean people will be willing to follow you. They may do what you say. They may go where you go. But that doesn't reflect power. It reflects survival on the parts of the people you're inflicting force upon. All right. So you have force and then you have people surviving. And when you have force and people surviving, that's not necessarily power. Because when people are following you to survive, remember, when they get the opportunity, 
They will also eat you to survive. (laughs) Okay. And if they will eat you, then you've never really held true power in the first place. Okay. Leaders with true power typically amass that power by helping those they lead. Okay. And we can look at different examples, right? Mother Teresa had power. Mahatma Gandhi had power. This probably will be debated, but I would say Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. also had power. In contrast, Adolf Hitler took a cyanide capsule and then put a gun to his head. (laughs) You know, so when you think about power, okay, mistreat power and it will mistreat you and it will also mistreat your legacy. So power is tricky, but you can't trick it. All right. That's number seven. You have to understand power. (laughs) And a lot of us don't. Okay. All right. So number eight, the yearning to be more. (laughs) You know, so I heard this. I heard this story from a successful businessman once, and I want to share with you guys. All right. And this is in regards to the yearning to be more. And this is the story he told. Early one morning, he arrived at work. He was an intern at the time, and he entered the elevator to head to the appropriate floor. And as the elevator doors began to close, someone, you know, stuck their arm in and caused the elevator doors to reopen. So to his surprise, the person who stepped into the elevator was the owner of the company. And so as they ascended in the elevator, the owner asked the young man, you know, how are you today? And so him being an intern, he looked up at the owner and said, well, you know, I'm surviving. And so to that, the owner kind of squinted a bit and then replied to him, son, everyone breathing on this planet is surviving. That won't change until you decide to be more. And so the owner then looked at him and said, be more. And so that intern listened. And today he's a multimillionaire. Okay, that stuck with him. And so one of the characteristics of success is the yearning to be more. And so my request to all of you who want to be successful is be more. Be more today than you were yesterday and be more tomorrow than you were today. That is my wish. All right. Number nine. Number nine is you can relate to a mistake. Because successful people, typically their road to success has been marked by many failures. All right. Uh, Kevin Hart, you guys looking at him right now. He's on top of his game. But if you if you check out Kevin Hart's story, he went up and, you know, we saw him. He made some bad movies and then he failed. And it was that failure that taught him how to be who he is today. And he talked about it at a great deal. Uh, in the magazine. I can't remember the name of the magazine. Um, I think it was, I can't remember the name. I'm not going to even tell you. I don't want to quote you. Quote it and you guys go checking it out. But, you know, just just look up Kevin Hart's story and it, it maybe may it'll pop up. But one of the characteristics of successful people is they know how to relate to a mistake because mistakes are made every day. So you have to get to the point with mistakes where you're like, so what? And you keep moving. Mistakes happen. So then learn, then move forward. The wise learn from other people's mistakes. All right. So maybe not always your own mistakes, but also learning from other people's mistakes to ensure that you don't have to personally acquire that lesson. So if you see somebody make a mistake, 
Why do you have to go down the same road? Learn. So use a little wisdom and learn. I believe that's also understanding how to relate to a mistake. Okay, so mistakes happen. The long and short is, you know, it's what you do with it that matters. All right. And so number 10. Number 10 is urgent patience, urgent patience. Success is every step you take forward. Okay, so look at success in small steps. Don't look at it in terms of leaps. And often, you know, that's one of the reasons why we don't we don't do well. Everybody wants to get rich quick. You know, everybody wants the easy scheme or, you know, the way that around the process. There is no way around the process if you really want to be successful and stay successful. It typically comes in steps, not leaps. And so practice urgent patience. So what do I mean by urgent patience? Well, you know, taking small, urgent, steady steps in one direction can equate to a great distance over time. Again, that 2% I talked about earlier. So the idea here is to start chipping away at your own success today. What can you do different today with urgency, but with patience? Because this has got to be a daily grind. And it's interesting. Some time ago, I met a life coach. You know, I'm a life coach. It was a peer of mine. And we were having a conversation. And, you know, she was asking me, hey, how did you get your radio show? Blah, blah, blah. I said, well, you know, I think, you know, it all started kind of with a process. And I blogged and I ended up getting interviewed, blah, blah, blah. And so she said, I'm going to blog. And I said, okay. I'm like, but you have to do what works for you. Because I blog every week like clockwork all the time. And if I miss, I might miss two to three times a year. Like I'm going to miss maybe uh, in a couple of weeks because I'm on vacation. All right. And I won't have Internet access because I'm on a boat. But outside of that, I post. And so she went and she went hard and she was trying to get it all done. So she was posting every day. Well, she couldn't keep up the pace. And eventually there's nothing. There's nothing. And so what I mean by urgent patience is taking small steps, things that you can continually do consistently. Because again, if we go to number one, which was resilience, that's a huge part of it. The ability to not quit, but to persevere on. All right, so I'm going to go through the 10 again. Number one was resilience, okay? Number two was believing you can. I'm going to talk a lot more about that, all right? Number three was having a plan. Number four is clearly defining what success is. Number five is self-discipline. Number six is passion. Number seven is understanding power. You're someone who understands power. Number eight is the yearning to be more. Number nine is someone who can relate to mistakes. And number 10 is urgent patience. All right, so let's spend some time on believing you can. And the best way for me to do this is to tell you guys about an interaction I had recently with Mr. Marty Nesbitt. Okay, now some of you know that name. And so about a month or two ago, I had the opportunity to be part of an intimate panel interview with Martin Nesbitt, or who we refer to as Marty Nesbitt. Okay, and Mr. Nesbitt, for those of you who don't know, is a well-known, successful businessman here in Chicago, and he's also the best friend of President Barack Obama. All right. So during the panel discussion, Mr. Nesbitt shared an interesting exchange. 
he and the president had about his potential candidacy before he was in the first election. All right. And, you know, so Marty went on to say, you know, doing a brief conversation, Barack and I had this following exchange. And this is what I caught from the exchange from my notes. Okay, And so President Obama at the time, who wasn't president, who was a first term senator, having a conversation with Marty, said, hey, Marty, I believe I can be president of the United States. And Mr. Nesbitt admitted to us, he said, I was a bit shocked initially. But he said, after absorbing the statement, he knew his friend was serious, right? He knew his friend didn't make idle statements. And then Mr. Nesbitt went on to share, if he, I'm talking about Barack Obama, was sharing that he believed he could be the president of the United States, it was only because he truly believed he could be the president. And then Mr. Nesbitt went on to say, Barack Obama didn't believe he had any constraints on him. And when he set his sight on being president of the United States, that's what he did. All right. So pause. He did not believe he had any constraints on him. Now, imagine this. I know some of you guys have policy, you know, you don't like what he's doing, whatever. Put all that to the side and let's sit on number two, believing you can. In regards to success, let's take a lesson, okay? If Barack Obama felt like he was inadequate for the office of president of the United States because he had brown skin, he would have never run. He would have never run. He would have been defeated by himself before he ever took action towards presidential candidacy. Do you all understand what I'm saying right now? That sometimes we have a feeling of inadequacy that constrains us and actually holds us back from doing the things that we should be doing and taking the positions, taking the things that we're supposed to take. And it's time out for that. We must stop placing the constraints on ourselves before the constraint is ever placed. Period. And the funny thing is, Mr. Nesbitt, inside the narrative, on the president's thought process, he says this, like he does not place constraints on himself. And here's the funny thing. When Barack Obama, Senator Barack Obama, announced his candidacy, one of the first things I said is, oh, it's too soon. He can't win as a first term senator. All right, you know, boy, was I wrong. All right. But what if he had placed that constraint on himself? What constraints are you placing on yourself? And I got to tell you, I got to check myself because I've placed constraints on myself at times. When somebody says, hey, do you think you can do that? Nah, I don't think so. It's time out for that. Yes, if it's for me, I can do it, period. It doesn't matter the color of my skin. And some people out there may disagree, but it doesn't because we're all children of God. I've said it before, but we all have a spirit. And we all have the power to say what it is that we want, to do what it is that we want. We can affirm ourselves. And so it's time out for putting constraints on ourselves. Because if you say you can't do it, then there's nothing I can do to stop it. That's the way it's going to be. And so until you lift that constraint off yourself, then there's nothing you can do. And some of us aren't successful simply because we don't believe we can be. Period. That's the problem. So. Back to Barack Obama. Not only did this man believe he could be president, and he didn't just do it once, 
he did it twice. And for a lot of us that thought he couldn't, we were wrong. And we were wrong for placing the constraint on him. And thank God he didn't place constraints on himself. What if Martin Luther King had placed constraints on himself? Oh, I'm too young. He gave the I have a dream speech before he turned 40 years old. What if he had feelings of inadequacy, not just around his skin, but also around his age? Like it's time out for that. There are some young people out here who are gifted. I hope you hear this. It doesn't matter. If you have something to bring, then you bring it, period. Because I know I've heard you can't. I've heard you won't. And I've done a lot of the things that people told me that I couldn't do. I was told I would never be a good communicator, but I believe I am. I mean, you're listening to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I was told I would never be a leader of people, but I am. And so it's time out for letting people put constraints on us, but it's definitely time out for us putting constraints on ourselves, period. This is your story. This is your life. This is my story. This is my life. And so who am I to, one, place a constraint on myself, and definitely who am I to place a constraint on anyone else, especially when I know the constraints others try to place on me? And so the only real damage that can be done to me is by me when I place constraints on myself, because I'll tell you that nobody else is going to do it. If there's something for me, I'm going for it. And I'm telling you guys, it should be the exact same for you. And we've gotten it from some of the best. Henry Ford, he had the quote, If you think you cannot do a thing or think you can't do a thing, you are right. Period. So, others will always place constraints on you. They will. So what? Who cares? What's important is that you don't place constraints on yourself. This episode of Inspirational Perspective was recorded at the Midway Broadcasting Corporation in Chicago, Illinois, on WVON 1690 AM, The Talk of Chicago. Thank you for listening. Go to the Inspirational Perspective Facebook page and like the page. Follow Linnell Harris on social media at the handle Linnell Harris. You can find him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with that handle. Text INSPIRED to 43783 to receive free inspirational quotes and updates.